This podcast episode deals with issues of LGBTQ. In this episode, the host makes a number of errors concerning the vocabulary, uses incorrect verbiage, and in an attempt to use hypothetical examples, the host uses incorrect assumptions about individuals concerning gender identity. Learning about an ever-evolving world one lives in should be the goal of all humans. The host promises to make strides in understanding the errors made and lessons learned from them. This episode also has trigger warnings in place to warn of the serious LGBTQ issue of suicide and suicidal thoughts. Please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Life Teacher Podcast. My name is Hector Suko and here with me today is Amber Rose Washington. Amber is an author, songwriter, musician, producer, public speaker, advocate for the transgender community, and Amber is trans. She has been featured on Fox, NBC, CBS, NPR, and a host of other media in multiple countries. Her new book, Hiding From Myself, recently achieved bestseller status. She has helped people around the world understand what it is like to be born incongruent or transgender. Amber works with diverse populations of society to dismantle the mythology and misinformation surrounding the trans community. She also mentors individuals so they can learn to overcome adversities in their lives and flourish. Amber, welcome to the show. Hi, Hector. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Now, usually what I do is ask guests to tell us a little bit more about themselves. But in this particular episode, we're going to stray away from that just a little bit, and we're going to save that for later. And I really want to get to our history, our human history, when it comes to these issues, because many people may feel as if this issue just came out of nowhere in the past few years. But honestly, you have to be aware that this issue has been around for millennia. I'll tell you my side and and how I'm thinking about this. And then you come in and tell me either where I'm wrong, where I'm right, or any missing pieces. There have been humans that have lived on this earth with gender dysphoria. You have a male, born male, but feels like they're females. You have females born with a female body, but they feel like they're male. But back then, in order to survive, they just had to go with what they were born, the body that they were born in. So if they were male, but they felt like a female, they still had to do male things in order to survive. And then they would go on and live the rest of their lives. Whether they found a mate or not is, is really up to them. But this existed back in world civilizations. Uh, so go ahead. That's that's my understanding of it. But go, but go ahead and introduce us to how humans have come into civilization with gender dysphoria. Okay. Thank you, Hector. Yeah, that you know you did a really good job uh, attempting to explain it. You know, with the information a lot of people have, and even some people in the transgender community get it incorrect when they try to explain it because it is difficult to explain. But the reality is. And I explain this in my book, I've done this all around the world in my talks. It's not really a feeling at all. So if I came up to you, right? So there's, let's, let's go over a couple terms first. There's something called cisgender versus transgender, right? Cisgender is just, 
It means on the same side of, right? So somebody that was assigned male at birth and is comfortable with that. Someone that is assigned female at birth is comfortable with that, so on and so forth. You're, you're being a cisgender individual. I don't think there's ever been a time where you said, I feel like a boy. Even though Shania Twain came out with the song, man, I feel like a woman. That's just, you know, I worked in the music industry for 27 years and, you know, that's just a gimmick, right? There, you know, women don't typically think about feeling like a woman and a man doesn't typically feel like they're a man. There's the, but what we do know is that there's an innate sense of self at a very young age. So we call this age the age of articulation. It typically runs between the age of three and nine. That's a typical, that's not like all inclusive, but that's typical. And within the age of articulation, each one of us is able to identify inwardly with the being that we are. Within society, we have a, a construct. We call it the heteronormative construct, right? I know that's a little derogatory, but that's where we live right now. You know, males have a certain way of doing things. Females have a certain way of doing things. You know, for a long period of time, we assigned colors to female and other colors to male, certain toys to boys, certain toys to girls. Those are just gender stereotypes. They mean absolutely nothing. nothing. You know, if a little boy plays with dolls, it doesn't mean he's going to be gay or trans. You can't become one of these things. And that's the hard thing for a lot of people. They don't want to swallow that pill because they don't understand it. And for a lot of people that are trans, we don't actually jive with, with everything that's going on with us. Therefore, we have an incongruence. There's another word, incongruent. So we're born incongruent. Which is to say, our brains, physically, not psychologically, but physically, are wired different than the way our bodies are. So at the age of four, when I said to my mom, am I a girl or a boy? I already kind of knew I was a girl, but I needed to have this answered because I saw all the other boys. I saw the way I was being treated. And what my mom said, because a lot of this comes back from my mom, uh, because when you're four, you don't remember all these details. And she said, well, you're my, you're my little boy, but I was expecting her to say, you're my little girl, but something happened. And a lot of people that I've spoken to said, there's no way you knew that stuff at four years old. So what I'm really alluding to is that when I was four years old and I, I knew I was different, a lot of people that have never dealt with understanding what trans really is or non-binary or any of these other terms, they they have a hard time understanding that every one of us knows exactly who or what we are at those ages of articulation. It's just that, you know, a very, very large in the 99 percentile percentage of the population does that unconsciously. It never becomes a conscious thought because everything is fine. There's nothing out of sync, if you will. But for folks like me, it was out of sync from an early age. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. Um, and we'll just go ahead and take it step by step. When you said incongruent and not use the term feeling, I definitely want kind of like a middle word. Would you say awareness is a more accurate term to describe someone who may be affirming their gender? Yes, because a feeling can change, right? You might feel sad and then you're happy, right? With 
gender dysphoria at its basic sense, it, you know, and with incongruence, it's not a feeling. It's, it, it is. It's an innate sense of self. And that's what we all have is an innate sense of self. We don't have feelings. Some people express it as a feeling, but when you really get down to the nuts and bolts, it's really not a feeling at all. It's a sense of self. So awareness, sure. I would, I would, I would absolutely embrace that word because I'm one of those people that, you know, we're going to talk today and you're going to find out I absolutely hate the word transgender because I didn't change genders. My gender has always been the same since birth, since the first breath I took, you know, inside my mind, I knew I was female. I didn't know how to express that at a young age, right? Because things were complicated because I was being treated like a boy, but I, I, I definitely knew. And you'll find that with the majority of us that we, we definitely knew. Going back to my original question, there were people that have been born on this earth that were born in the wrong body and lived and survived the best they could and then passed away. Would you not agree? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I want to characterize it as born in the wrong body, but yeah, yeah, I, I would say there's been people you know, um, countless numbers of people throughout the ages since the inception of humanity, because obviously DNA and all the chromosomes and all the different markers are so diverse. You can have billions of iterations of differences in people. Thus, why we all look differently, have different tastes and things and everything else. Yeah. And then as, as humanity started to evolve into civilizations, you did have courageous people to come out and say what they were feeling and they were probably outcasted. Would you they, not agree? They were outcasted. A lot, a lot of people that were, were relegated to, um, there's a great movie called The Greatest Showman uh, that, that came out a few years ago with the song, This Is Me. You know, people that were trans were, were looked upon as circus show freaks, you know, and they confused two different things. They're, Back in the day, they used to call it hermaphrodite, which is a derogatory term. The actual medical term is intersex. And that is somebody that's born with ambiguous genitalia, both sets of genitalia, or any varying degrees of both sets of genitalia in any order combination you can possibly think of. So there's that, and then there's gender, uh, the, the trans people that are you know, the brain is different than the body. There's a, there's a mismatch that has happened in a certain part of pregnancy. And that's the other thing people need to consider is that during gestation, there are key moments during every trimester of that pregnancy that have to go absolutely perfect for that little quote unquote perfect baby to come out. And what I tell people is there's not a day in my life. And it, I don't mean to offend other trans people by saying this, but there's never been a day in my life that I enjoyed being trans. It's, mm -hmm. it's a horrible existence, at least, you know, from my eyes. And I have a lot of trans folks that I speak to around the world and they all agree vehemently. They say, if I could have been born congruent to begin with, I wouldn't have never had any of the issue, issues. No one would possibly want to be born this way because it's, it's really not fun. Not from a physical standpoint, and not from an emotional standpoint, and definitely not from a societal standpoint. At one point, religion became an important part of our civilization. 
and I know that there's one, I know that there's one verse in the Bible in particular. It comes from the Old Testament. I think it's like the Deuteronomy. And it says that if a man dresses like a woman, he should be put to death. Chapter three of my book is called Losing My Religion. Why? Because I studied theology for 32 years. You know, that's something that a lot of people don't know. I wanted to know the 4,200 religions that exist, the multiple deities that still exist. Why does Christianity have 33,000 plus denominations, right? Because I was raised Catholic and I was also Christian, right? I had both sides of the same coin. And I wanted to know why you know, why is it that I found out there were 33,000 denominations just within this? And I found out from clergy, from bishops, I had a bishop in the family, and that, well, unfortunately, Christians don't agree with each other on the interpretations of the Bible. That's why you see so many different New Testaments flying around. And the Old Testament, truthfully, isn't exactly accurate either. They picked and choose what they wanted in that as well. But to your point, when we're talking about Deuteronomy or even or even more insidious is the book of Leviticus. Yes. Um, judges, numbers. If you look at all of these and actually read them like most Christians do not, they, they pick and choose what they want to read. Um, you will find very quickly that the Bible is filled with a lot of horrible stuff. So when you think about a man shouldn't wear women's clothes and vice versa, that's that's a misnomer because quite honestly, a farmer that plants two different crops in the same field can be put to death. If you wear two different types of clothing or you cook or you cook a pig on the Sabbath, you could be put to death. You know, adultery, you know, certain people can be brought out into the square and put to death. If your boy or girl, if your child is disobedient to the parents for a period of time, they can be brought into the town square and be, and be judged and then put to death. So there's a million ways that we can, unfortunately, disobey the Ten Commandments and actually put someone to death. It's a loop, bunch of loopholes in the Bible all over the place. And when I say Bible, that's a misnomer, too, because there is no Bible Bible. There's a lots of different books, a lots of different writings that, that, that predate all of that, including the Codex Sinaiticus, um, something that predates the Torah, and in fact, the first books that we ever got for, for the Old Testament and whatnot, you know, here's a quiz for you really quick, not to put you on the spot, but, you know, see if you read the Bible at all. All right, let's see if our, our users know. Who are the first two? Let's start with an easy one. Who are the two first people on the planet Earth? Go. Adam and Eve. Wrong. See, right off the bat, we, we know that there's a problem, a disconnect, because people only see what a bunch of guys back in the day wanted you to see. If you look at the Jewish texts that predate the Old Testament, you know for a fact that Adam's first wife was someone named Lilith. The reason we don't bring Lilith up is because she was cast out of paradise because she was she committed infidelity, right? Because we all know from Genesis 1 and 2 that it wasn't just Adam and Eve. There were different tribes in different areas. It's just that Adam and Eve were placed into you know, and this, the whole thing is mythology, but they were placed into paradise into the Garden of Eden, right? So before that, there was Lilith, and uh, Lilith was a problem to, for Adam and for everything else. So they omitted her from that. And when you look at the New Testament, the New Testament, um, when was that formed? Do you know the year? 
I do know that around 325 AD that Constantine really wanted to join paganism and Christianity together. Excellent. And then they had the Nicene Creed in which okay. they decided which books and what was going to go into the Bible. And it, that was his way to join the Christians who have grown to a certain point and the Romans. And that's how he was able to keep the Roman Empire afloat for, I guess, 600, 700 more years. Exactly. Wow. You're very, I might, you know, Hats off to you. That's very good. Not too many people can explain that so eloquently. So thank you. Yes, the Council of Nicaea, the first Council of Nicaea, comprised of 200 theologians of the time, decided. Now, now think about this for a second, because this is in the movie industry that I was also part of. This is called the continuity issue. The continuity issue is that God penned the Bible. He used human beings to write down his instruction manual for all of humanity. So there's not a human on the planet that's religious that won't agree with you when you say the, the Bible is the, the, the instruction manual for all of humanity. And that being said, how is it that mankind can be so arrogant as to edit God's word? You know, we, we decided which books and which writings go into what we now call one of the New Testaments, which is just a translated thing from Greek. Oh, wait a second. The Greeks didn't write the Bible. You got to go back even further, but yet our translations come from Greek. And uh, I would go ahead and just push back on that just a little bit, because based on my experience, mm -hmm. anybody that can tell you about Emperor Constantine and the fact that all these, the, like what you said, theologians came together, yeah, they can tell you that, of course, the Bible probably wasn't written exactly word for word and that humans had their hand in it, but they still have faith in their hearts. And anybody else who thinks that the Bible was transcribed from God, you're going to have a hard time dissuading them because it's in their heart, right? But we both agree that using the Bible and using religion to discriminate against anyone based on gender, race, ethnicity is wrong. Of course. And so, and it, but, but I'm trying to go a little bit further and I totally agree with you. And um, that was very eloquently said too. Um, what I'm trying to say is that what happens is people will cite these verses from the Bible and that's called cherry picking because there are a host of things that they themselves never adhere to, right? Keeping holy the Sabbath. How many people in this, in this society keep holy the Sabbath, for example, right? Um, if in fact homosexuality or being trans or anything was a mortal sin, why wasn't it part of the 10 commandments? And, and why are there only these little verses that actually aren't talking about that in the first place? Because honestly, someone's gender has nothing to do with clothing. They were talking about these fetishized parties where there was a lot of pedophilia going on. You know, think of Sodom and Gomorrah. They use that against, against the gay community all the time. But the reality of those, when you look at it from, from 32 years of experience of deciphering them and talking to clergy, actual people, scholars in this field, you find out that, well, actually, it wasn't a, about people being gay. It was about them, you know, using children, which is gross and disgusting. And um, so there's a misnomer there, uh, you know, all throughout. And, and, you know, 
when they say clothing, how many times has a guy given his girlfriend his jacket at a concert because it's cold? Well, that's cross-dressing in their, in, their, in their eyes. How many times do we use fabrics from one to the next? And how many times have we actually changed fabrics through the millennia that only women used to wear and now men wear, right? Think about it. Back in the day, the color for man was pink. The color for woman was blue. And then in Western culture, we finally changed that where women is pink and men is blue. There's a lot of social think, constructs that come out of you know, the causality of religion itself. I'm not trying to poo-poo religion because I believe in God, right? I'm a very spiritual woman. And it's just, I want to point out to people that there's a better way to behave. And if you're going to, if you're going to follow a religion because it's going to help you become a better person, perhaps, although having a religion has nothing to do with being a good person. Um, but if it's going to help you on your journey, then so be it. That's great. Nobody else should interfere with that. But also nobody should interfere with, with somebody that was born with, uh, for example, leprosy. For 2,000 plus years, the church said it was the hand of God punishing that person for sinning against him. And if it wasn't that person, they were paying the price of the sins of the parents. 2,000 years. 1873, a Norwegian scientist finds out that it's a myco, what. Uh, myco, M-Y-C-O, bacterial infection, which affects the skin, and found that out. And it still took another 65 years for the church and society at large to embrace the fact that they got it incorrect for those 2,000 years. So society is very slow moving with new information. And they like to deify and or place into the ethereal realm things they don't understand which is why I had two exorcisms, right? Because I'm obviously demon-possessed, uh, right? That's wow. what Christianity did to me. They, I, they decided I had a demon in me. That That is interesting, but also yeah. sounds very traumatic. Oh, it's, it was horrifying. And it was at an, a later age. I was already an adult when they tried to do this. It was, it was an aunt and uncle of mine, unbeknownst to anyone else, because my mom and dad were absolutely beautiful to me. For the 1970s, for two people to embrace me the way I'm embraced is just unheard of, right? And they understood, all right, there's something serious going on when it happened for years and years and years and years. Obviously, there's something not, not the same as we thought it was. But when my aunt and uncle, who are just this uber Catholic, you know, that they, they spend their whole life you know, doing the Catholic thing instead of living their life and interfacing with people. And that's a shame because interfacing with people and understanding diversity is so important. That's what got us in trouble with, with people that had that disease, you know, leprosy. It, that got us into trouble because they had one mindset and it has to be this. It's this or that, period. And um, so that was a very good question you had. Do you think that information is coming at society a little too fast and that society is having trouble catching up? And I'm going to give you a few examples. Sure. I just learned from you that the term hermaphrodite is derogatory. I completely understand that. A mayor, a local mayor used the term homosexual and a news reporter replied to him on Twitter and said, the term is now gay homosexual is considered wrong. Uh, these letters that I want to go into next, 
right? It, it just seems and it and it feels to me. Can that we correct it? Can we correct the reporter first? I don't want to lose track of that because that was a good point. Okay. There's so, something called heterosexual. So there's something called homosexual. There's something called bisexual. There's something called demisexual. There's something called asexual. There's something called pansexual. So yes, homosexual is still a word. Whoever said that is is not accurate. Yeah. So go ahead. So here's where that information comes from. It's come. It comes from Glad, G L A A D, and it yeah. said offensive, homosexual. Preferred gay, gay man, or lesbian, gay person, gay people. Please use gay or lesbian to describe people attracted to members of the same sex. So when we're talking about that in a conversational mode, they're absolutely correct. In a conversational mode, you know, we, so if I come up to you on the street and I say, wow, what's it like to be heterosexual? You don't typically hear that. You might hear the word straight. Or you might hear that, hey, what, what does your girlfriend or your wife look like or whatever. But you, you typically don't hear these other words, you know, heterosexual versus homosexual in a conversation. We use that to define certain things. There's definitions. And then things have to, at that point, be put into context, right? So go ahead from there. Okay. And then the letters, which is definitely something I want to talk about next. Sure. It just feels as if a letter is being added every six months or so when for a very long time and it, it, it was LGBT and then these new things were added. And do you think that it it's just that the information is just coming out and it may be too much for society to handle? Or do you think that, hey, society, catch up? I think people that have a problem with a bunch of letters have to really start thinking where their mind sets in, in their discriminatory thoughts. And we all have them. Every one of us has discriminatory thoughts. And if something like that bothers an individual, they really have to take pause and wonder what exactly is really bothering you about that? Because somebody that is wholesome and not trying to be derogatory at all and uses the wrong word, all of us that are born differently understand that. And we're not going to get upset with that. The thing is, is that LGBT, and then there's LGBTQ, and then there's LGBTQI, and there's the plus symbol, and then the A is in there. So when we start thinking about these things, we're trying to look at diverse groups of people in the demographic, right? And the reason we do that, sort of like we do Black Lives Matter, for example, it's because we need to have advocacy for a marginalized group, for a group that is in dire need of, of somebody talking exactly about them. Why? Because people that are trans, for example, are, and I'm going to give you seven things right now, and, and I'll do it very quickly. They're discriminated against, discriminated against, repressed, persecuted, profiled, bullied, verbally assaulted, physically assaulted, threatened with death, and in, in some cases actually murdered just because of the way they were born. So what I was trying to get to is that labels, which is what these letters are alluding to, are something that none of us really want. Nobody wants labels because if you have labels, that means you have to advocate for a group of people. And if you have to advocate for a group of people, that means there's a problem either with 
equality or some sort of violence or something else that's happening to cause that label to be formed. And the fact of the matter is, is the, the letters are changing in such a way that people get confused. I agree with that, right? It's not like people that, that decide on what letters to use. The letters themselves have always been around, by the way. It's just that we, you know, we typically don't just call it that right away. So the I, we already covered, that's intersex, right? Q for queer, for years, from the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, queer became a derogatory term. So people that are queer or questioning, as we call it, those folks wanted to take it back. They needed to take that word back because it defined who they were. Instead of it being a negative connotation, they turned it into a positive one. That's why we have the Q there. But the other thing is, is that when you really look at this, at the letters, you realize that what we're really looking at is the, is the number zero, all the way to zero, all the way to 100, and every iteration of every decimal point in between. That encompasses what I'm talking about here. It's not simply one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven letters. It's a multitude that span like the light spectrum from ultraviolet to, to infrared and everything in between, because you have people that are non-binary or gender fluid. You have people that are demisexual, asexual, pansexual, and people are like, what do all these terms mean? And it just, it's the way people's brains operate. So they understand uh, that attraction is not a choice, right? When you get down to, I like blue eyes versus brown eyes, or you know, I like blonde hair versus black hair. That's a choice, right? But what you're attracted to, your sexual orientation, what you're attracted to, you're born with that as well. Now, there are times when people sort of find out later in life, so that leads people to believe that, ah, oh, see, they changed, they changed teams in the middle of the game here. That's not fair. That's not how that works either. A lot of people, because of societal pressures and because of the maturing brain, it takes some people a lot longer to figure all of this out. It's not as easy. For some people, it's very easy. When I was in kindergarten, I loved this girl, Becky, and blah, 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 a lot of guys will say. And they just knew, right? But when a little boy says, I like Johnny instead of Becky, all of a sudden, it's inappropriate. All of a sudden, this they must be abused by their parents or, or they're being indoctrinated into this club. Listen, I don't have a membership card to the LGBT. There's no such thing, right? So a lot of people think there's some sort of, there's, there's some sort of group or religion or, or membership card. There, there is not. In fact, I've been LGBT for the, my entire life, but never knew it, right? I knew I was a woman. I knew I was a girl. I knew I was female. Um, I, did I ever feel that way? No, but I knew I was. Amber, are you telling us that there's no woke card? So, yeah, you I'm know still, what's I'm funny? Still, I'm still waiting for my woke card in the mail. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Isn't that funny? They, they turned the word woke into a derogatory thing, too. And it's just some of us have come outside of the box and looked at it for what it is and said, you know what? Wow, we've really been taught the wrong version of American history here, or at least just one little smidgen of it. And there's been a lot of craziness going on for a long time. And when we say we're woke, all of a sudden the other side uses that as a weapon. They weaponize it and say, you know, um, you're a snowflake, you're woke, you know, as if that's a bad thing. And it's not a bad thing. Here's the funny thing about life. 
you know, and, and just, just bear with me for two minutes on a political statement. When we think about liberals versus conservatives, let's just take those two groups of people. If you take the word conservative, it doesn't really like change, but the world is always changing. There's an ebb and flow to earth and our existence here. Everything is changing. Your body is constantly in change and in flux. You know, it's not just puberty, aging process, going from an infant and then ultimately ending up looking like that infant with wrinkles when you're really, really super old, right? So there's always change. And what I tell people in, in one of my books, I tell them, by the time you've gained the wisdom and have figured out how this life works in 3D land, it's no longer yours to have. It's the generations below you. But if they choose not to hear you, there's tremendous consequences for that. Because if a parent doesn't change who they are or what they think, if their little boy comes and says, I, I'm a girl, I'm a girl, they're going to kick him out of the house because they don't like change. They don't want to change their mind about this issue. And it has caused, like what you said, and it, and I will say it, it may be triggering, but it does cause high suicide rates among this population. And yes. it's and it's disturbing. It really yes, is. It is. Because that little boy or that little girl, you know, they're just kids. And there's this mis misinformation campaign that the kid is being abused or hates their parents or has mommy issues or has daddy issues. They come up with a whole host of things that they make assumptions on. And let's be clear, those are assumptions and they are trying to turn them into facts and they don't even know what it is in the first place they're talking about because they have no experiential knowledge about it. And they don't talk to someone like me, which is why I get on a hundred thousand podcasts and radio programs. A lot of us, regardless of what it is, anybody within the LGBTQ, um, we all end up with a similar sort of set of circumstances, depending on the parents. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, and I hate to say this because I, you know, religion is at, the, is at the bottom of a lot of this. It's not just some, you know, tangent in society. It's, it's a lot of it comes from the way they were taught as children. And, and what happens is a lot, a fair percentage of people like myself they get kicked out of their family's house. In fact, last year, the American, I forgot the name, forgive me, the American Council on Bishops, um, they came out and actually with an edict that said, you need, to, you need to not embrace your trans children. If your child comes out as trans and will not abandon that thought, you need to stray away from that child. And I thought that was the most ugly thing the church has ever put out. How dare they do that? They're, they're supposed to be about love. And, you know, and then the Pope, who we thought was so wonderful, started coming out and saying things to the opposite that he started talking about in the first place. I was like, what is going on? There's like this, this, this two sides of this uh, thing coming out of his mouth at the same time. And it's so sad because when you look at marriage equality, for example, right, and for people that are gay, I'm not gay, right, but, you know, people that are, you know, what is the big holdup here with a man marrying a man or a woman marrying a woman? Love is love is love. And, you know, if, if that were the case, 51% of Americans have, have been divorced, that were married, have, have been divorced. 51%, and that's growing every year. And then when you think about why, 
I could get this wrong, so don't hold me to this, but I think it's 62%. It's because of infidelity. Wait a minute. There's another term for infidelity. In the Bible, it's called adultery. Why are we not talking about this? You know, if the church can't get its house together with what marriage really is, with heterosexual people, why are they trying to mandate the opposite when, in fact, there's nowhere in the Bible, even if you and I sit here and actually word for word cite word for word in, in scripture, we'll quickly find out that it's not bedded in reality. That's not actually what was written. It was mistranslated several times over. And it's too bad because, you know, a lot of the stuff was based on fetish, which, which actually was a, a falling over from polytheism, which lasted 15,000 years pre preceding the monotheistic period that we're in now, right? So before monotheism, we had all of these different types of polytheism. And people don't even, if they're not even educated on monotheism, forget about the talk about polytheism, they lose their minds. They don't realize that it, that actually is 15,000 years older than, than that. So yeah, there's a lot of suicide, suicide ideation, because people just want to be loved. At the end of the day, they want to be loved for who they are. And we see, and this is, you're going to laugh at this term because it is kind of funny, but at the same time, it gets right to the, the point. We understand kids that are born with leukemia, congenital heart defects, cleft palate, conjoined twins, autism, all sorts of other mental health issues, uh, and over 100,000 different types of birth anomalies. And we can both agree that there's all sorts, like kids born with three fingers and missing arms and limbs and blind and deafness and everything else. No problem at all. As soon as we enter into the realm of putting sex and or gender into that mix, everybody gets diarrhea of the brain. Well, that's because we see as, oh, a baby born without a hand, normal. A male baby wanting to be a girl, not normal. I, I, I really do think that even though I don't necessarily like the term normal when we're discussing these issues, normalcy does seem to fit a lot with the discrimination against transgender. Yeah, the word normal is, is inaccurate too, because I can't tell you how many TikTok videos, for example, that I've seen of people that are deaf that speak differently or there's, this, there's these conjoined twins that have their own page and talk about their issues. How much hate is out there for those people that these two gay gentlemen that were on there that had this beautiful page and they were talking about issues and people were commenting saying, it's supposed to be a man and a woman and you two are an abomination and that's not what God intended. God intended us to procreate, period. So the argument would be, so are you stating that a girl that had a, had a hysterectomy in puberty or just after, who's no longer going to be able to be fertile, or a girl that has a malformed uterus, or let's get even further, a girl that was born absent a uterus, or only one fallopian tube, or a boy that has not had distended testicles, thus he's not producing sperm. Are you saying that those people should never get married and that they are abominations to God? No, that, that's not what I meant. Well, what is it you mean then? Because there's, there's countless tens of millions of people, you know, in the United States alone that have infertility problems. And, you know, you, you can't use 
some crazy doctrine that you can't prove in the first place to try to mandate onto other people's lives what it is. There are 4,200 religions in the world, but there seems to be right now in the center of everything, one religion saying this is how it should be, period, end of discussion. If you don't come to Jesus Christ, you're, you're, you're doomed. Now, I happen to be a person that, that does follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. I do, right? So everyone's hearing me poo-poo religion, but that's only because religion and spirituality are completely two different constructs. One is man-made and one is the divine. One is the ethereal. One is, we don't know where we're going to go when we die. Let's be honest with each other. But we know there's something else. We know that we're just a bus stop on the way along our journey, right? And I know that when I talk to my mom, every single night, I speak to her. And she talks to me. I know she's in that place, or multiple places, if you will. And I know that she's a light being. And we're all light beings, thus the soul just living out a temporary existence on this 3D land that we're in. But we are, we're, we're not temporary. We're immortal in that way. And I believe in my heart that we all go to the same place when we die. This idea of heaven and hell really comes out of scripture as well, because Jesus Christ himself even mentioned Gehana several times in the Bible, that you don't want to end up in Gehana after death. But Gehana is actually a literal place on earth outside of Jerusalem, where they used to burn garbage and human bodies so that they wouldn't rot and the garbage wouldn't rot and you wouldn't have smell and dysentery and everything else. They, Gahana was a physical place. And, but people don't want to look at those things when they read the Bible that, you know, we, we've created these things so that society could, could, you know, if you do this, you're going to, you know, sort of like parenting 101. You tell your children, if you do this, you know, you're going to be grounded or you're going to get a timeout or, or this or that. We do the same thing with religion and to the masses, and they sort of follow that, sort of, kind of follow that, right? The, most people don't follow the mandates in the Bible, but they're the first to point out, well, look at what this, this thing in Deuteronomy or Leviticus said. Those are the two most destructive, disgusting, you know, chapters in all of the Bibles that have been written. I've read the Quran. I've read the, all the different Bibles, the King James, the NIV, the New Living Testament. I mean, I could start listing New Testaments and all night long for us. I've read the Torah, translated Torah. I've read lots of smaller religious texts that are out there, even some polytheistic ones like Hindu and whatnot. And it's interesting when you put them all together and you look at the different chapters that are in each one of these books, there's a lot of negative stuff in a lot of them, and there's a lot of positive stuff right? But people don't know how to take an allegory and translate it into their life. How can you overcome massive stress, anxiety, or adversity in your life through Jesus Christ or whatever the, the prophet that they're talking about, Muhammad, whoever? They don't know how to take it from that one writing to the real world application of it without making it so literal that it puts you on a pedestal and everybody that doesn't have your mindset or, or your birth pattern underneath you, and they must be sinning, they must be an abomination, they, they must have ill intent in their heart. And then it goes a step further where they, you know, I had an argument with somebody yesterday, in fact, and I hate saying I had an argument because it happens so rarely, where this person, you know, came to me and said, 
you better run away from the LGBTQ because they're going to add the letter P to it. I said, oh, good God, please stop watching that news channel that starts with an F, for God's sake. And, you know, this is what society does. They love to place things that don't go together together to try to make it more insidious. Pedophilia is absolutely disgusting. There's not a single solitary straight person or gay person or trans person that condones that sort of activity. And for them to say that's going to be the next letter. And they do that because they, they, they already have society saying, oh, we're so sick of all these letters. So getting back to your letters, they use that as a weapon now and say, oh, well, guess what's next? It's not intersex. It's not I. It's P. And you just got to shake your head in disbelief going, this is where we are in humanity. You know, we, we have over 10 million people that believe the earth is flat again. And we have people that think that the, the vaccine is placing microchips in our body. And there's just so much conspiracy out there that it drives you crazy. And then when, if it isn't bad enough for people that are in the LGBT or people that identify within that, then they got to go and push that on it. That's dangerous because people like us are being murdered. You know, people like us are being, losing our jobs, losing our families, losing everything. Why? Just because we are who we are. Now, if someone came to me and said, no, you were born a man. So no matter if you've had vaginoplasty or not, you're still a man. I'd say, well, interesting that you say that. Are you part of the LGBTQ? No. Well, gee whiz, you might want to consider it because you, um, you have a mindset of what a man is. And if that includes me, then wow. Your definition of man is pretty diverse. <laughs> Have you seen the propaganda about these trolls trying to add pedophilia to the to the letters? Have you seen some of these images? Oh yeah, they're sent to me all the time. Um, it, because at the beginning of the year, Google proclaimed me a public figure, and once they do that, let me tell you something: it un, it opens the gates, and you get every weirdo in the planet, you know, trolling you. And so, yes, I've seen it. So my, my um, manager and my publicist send me some of these things. And it's, it's so crazy. Some of the conspiracies they have, it just, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, you know. Let's go ahead and move on to the family unit. And sure. go ahead and give us a brief description about the way you grew up and and my original question to everybody is who is Amber and go ahead and tell us about you and tell us about your family. Sure. I was born in upstate New York in a little town called Liberty, New York, a place that had more deer than people for real. It was a very rural community. It was the community that the movie Dirty Dancing was based upon. We had all those hotels from back in the day and I grew up in that neighborhood. In fact, my home was only 15 miles away from the original Woodstock site from 69. So there's a lot of history where I grew up, but it was very small. There wasn't very many people there. So the, the, the diversity factor and understanding of diversity was not, <laughs> it was not well versed there. Let's just say that. So as far as my family goes, I come from a Catholic family. Uh, my mom, my dad, uh, my mom had two sisters and a brother, and my dad had a sister and two brothers, and everyone in the family was uber Catholic. Like, they would go to church every day Catholic, 
And we didn't, we sort of went on Sundays and that was it for us. And for the most part, I had a beautiful childhood other than being incongruent. I had a beautiful childhood where, you know, there was 19 or 20 children on my little block, which was really good for the place that we lived in. And we had ourselves a wonderful time. And a lot of my younger, my friends from youth knew that I was different because we'd have conversations. I remember being told to go play baseball with the boys and I would go out and play baseball with the boys. And then I'd always look down by my house. We had a veterinary hospital behind our house that was abandoned. And that became what we call the garage. And every time I saw the girls make their way into that garage, I would suddenly make an excuse to the boys. Oh, my mom just called me. I got to go guys. And they would leave the game and I would sneak into the garage with them and play house for the rest of the day. And it was like, this is, this is so much fun. You know, I liked baseball. I'll be honest. It was fun. Even some of the other girls played, you know, it was fun, but I didn't want to do it all stinking day. I wanted to do what they did. I wanted to have the conversations they had because the boys on my block, when I was starting to reach the age of 10, 11, they started talking about trucks and motorcycles and, and engine parts and 12 gauge shotguns and all this stuff that country kids talk about. And I had no interest in any of that. You know, there was no one in the family telling me not to have an interest in. In fact, it was the opposite. Oh, yeah, go talk to them. And if you want, I'll go get your hunting license with you when you're 14. And I had no interest in any of that. And so I would end up in the garage with the girls and they'd all be talking about how they were going to get married at a certain age. And this is the type of guy that they wanted. And, and we used to have a magazine called Tiger Beat. And it would have like Donny Osmond in it and it would have Scott Baio in it and all the, the, the guys from the 1970s and 80s that, that girls used to swoon over. And I was swooning over the same guys, thus me saying I'm not gay, right? I'm a woman and I'm attracted to men, period. So I would say, yeah, I'm gonna have two kids also. And for a while they were like, yeah, yeah, me too. And then after a while, when puberty started to hit for them, because girls enter puberty younger than boys, for the most part, they said, you can't have children. You're, you're a boy. Boys can't have kids. I said, no, I can. Now I was 11. I was 11 years old. Remember, we're still in the 1980s. There's no such thing as internet. MTV just became a thing, right? And I said, I, yes, I can. Don't say that to me. And I would cry and I'd run in to my house and that would be that. And this one girl, Shannon, who was my best friend ever, she knew that, you know, here's this person that looks like a boy, but she's not really a boy. And she used to make bets with her friends. Like, when is she actually, because remember the eighties, all the European rock groups, they were all gay and people were coming out, right? Coming out of the closet was a big thing. And she would make these things with her friends that were like, I wonder when so-and-so, see, I'm not dead naming myself, when so-and-so is going to come out, you know? And they understood there was a word called transsexual. Um, they didn't know anything else because transgender was not really a word. It still shouldn't be a word technically. It should just be trans. But I had a wonderful family. I had a sister and, and a family that embraced me. My mom protected me my whole life from the bullies because I was beat up a lot because I was too effeminate, you know? So that, that, that's basically my young life. 
you said a term that I've probably never heard before. You said dead naming. Yeah. So can you go into that? What, what does that word mean? So when I was born, you know, when I was born, I was identified as a male when I was born. So they gave me a name and I'm going to say my name to you because I say it in my book too. My original name was Edward Ambrose Washington. Okay. Edward Ambrose Washington. And dead naming is a word that we use that says, you know, that really isn't my name. Uh, that was a name that was assigned to me by somebody that thought they knew who I was. And, you know, I have a host of doctors that now confirm that, yes, everything that I've gone through is medical in nature, not psychological, right? I wouldn't have had half the successes I've had in my life that we've not talked about yet if I was some sort of mentally insane person or mentally ill. That's why it's not a mental illness whatsoever. So dead naming is just don't use that name. So if we can get into Amber Rose Washington, who is she? Amber Rose Washington came into existence via, via a name at the age of eight years old. I was in my room at eight years old. I used to write in a diary, everything from the day, like how I felt like I feel really sad because Michelle said that I'm not going to be able to have kids. And I would write about that in a diary. And those diaries actually became a book, right? Uh, obviously I had to touch it up to be legible, you know, English, but what happened was, I looked at my name and I wrote it down. I said, my middle name, Ambrose, that's an interesting name. That was my grandfather's name, Ambrose. And then I started to slow it down because by the age of eight, I was already starting to write music because I'm a songwriter. And Ambrose, I slowed it down phonetically, Ambrose, Amber Rose, Amber Rose. Wow. So the word Ambrose becomes Amber Rose. So out of respect for my family, I tried to keep my name as similar as possible for my family. That's why I translated the name Ambrose into Amber Rose. All you need to do is add an R, right? <laughs> and an E right there. And you get two words. So my mom's middle name was Rose. So that was a double Yahoo, right? So there I was from the age of eight. My name was Amber Rose. Did I tell everybody that? No, only a few people knew. And I can tell that because you tried to keep some familiarity within your name shows how much you did love your family and how much they loved you back. I can, I, I can see that. And I can hear that in your voice. Yeah. Mom, mom didn't understand what the hell was going on with me. Let's be honest. She was a nurse and she still didn't know. And I went to a doctor one time that said, well, if Eddie's now, here's the thing. I made her call me Eddie because Eddie sounded a little more feminine than Edward or Ed, right? So no one ever called me Edward and no one ever in my young days called me Ed either. It was always Eddie. I, I liked Eddie. If I had to be known as a boy name, it's gonna be Eddie. And um, I just wasn't ready to, to spill the beans except to mom who I did spill the beans to, right? Amber Rose. See how I did that mom? I took Ambrose and made it Amber Rose. She cried, she, but she didn't cry out of misery. She cried out of love. She hugged me, and, but she did take me to the doctor. And he says, and during puberty, if this is still happening, we'll just, maybe we can give a shot of extra testosterone. That would have killed me by the way, just so you know, it would have killed me. What people don't know about me is that, yes, I'm trans. Yes, I had a beautiful childhood. Yes, I had a family that embraced me. 
um, we, we didn't know how to solve the problem of me, right? And there were times where it was like, oh God, I'm so sick and tired of this. And, you know, there's frustration because they don't know how to deal with it just as much as I didn't, you know, but I ended up with being deaf at five years old. I had to learn sign language. So I know how to sign, right? And at six years old, I was in the children's hospital in New York City and got my hearing back, but I died on the operating table and they had to resuscitate me. And so I guess not really die, but you know, I went into arrest. And so there was that where I was able to see what I call the angel of death, right? And then by the age of 25, I was diagnosed with a very rare blood cancer. And when I looked it up online and talked to my hematologist and oncologist, they said five years is typically the lifespan. So my life was over at that point. At 25, I was ready to give up on the world. But my music career was just taking off. So I was like, I'm just going to live life like there's no tomorrow. And I'm going to do everything I possibly can. So what did I do? Not just because I'm trans, because being trans, I had to keep my mind off of that all the time because I didn't know how to transition. I didn't, I came from a very small town. There was no internet, right? You think you're the only human being on the planet, right? I was 11 years old when I saw the Phil Donahue show with somebody named Carolyn Cossey on it. She was a Bond girl. She was in For Your Eyes Only, most beautiful Bond girl ever. She's trans. Nobody knew she was trans. She was in a movie in 1980, For Your Eyes Only, and everyone was attracted to her and didn't know she was trans. And then one year later, she was in Playboy doing a spread, right? And she's from the UK. But me, you know, I had to live this life that was sort of um, filled with a lot of, a lot of medical issues. So I ended up doing everything I could. So I wrote more music. I started becoming a producer. I started writing more. I started doing everything I possibly can and ended up with what I call occupational ADD. I started reading on theology, not just from Christianity, but from Judaism, from, from the Muslim religion, from Hinduism, from the smaller, the smaller um, factions of religion that, you know, there's 4,200 of them, of course. So I started learning everything I could about everything I could. And it was kind of fun for me. And what happened was I ended up surviving those five years. Now I was going through hell. I got to be honest, having cancer is not fun, right? You got to go through a lot of needles, a lot of horrible stuff, a lot of horrible medicine. And I made it through, but I still had cancer. I still had it. And they couldn't figure out why it, it, it sort of flatlined. It stayed at a certain level. It wasn't getting progressively worse like it was. It was just hovering. So I made it through my 40s. And at the age of 48, I ended up having a, an ischemic stroke. And I lost the use of the left-hand side of my body. And I ended up in the ICU for three days. And they found out I had a stroke because I, had a, I was born with a congenital heart defect. See? born incongruent, also born with a congenital heart defect, also born with very small astatian tubes, which were completely blocked, which caused my deafness, right? So they had to have multiple surgeries to correct that. So all these host of problems, then I had to have three heart operations to close those holes in my heart and then close the left atrial appendage so that I wouldn't be able to throw another clot into my brain and have another stroke. Here's the funny thing when I started to transition full time with, you know, taking estrogen and taking 
testosterone blockers. Once I started taking testosterone blockers, my life became exponentially better. Like testosterone to me was very toxic. And here's your proof. My hematologist said, this is about four months into it. This is very interesting, Amber. And he shows me my HNH and my, it's called the hemoglobin and hematocrit levels. And they were down to normal levels, normal female levels at that. Guys, hematocrit and hemoglobin is higher than a female's, right? Mine was even lower than that. He goes, you know, it's interesting. After doing this, these blood tests so often, I found out one thing, and I hope you don't take offense to this, but being a guy was actually physically killing you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, holy crap. So I got rid of the testosterone. The cancer completely and utterly disappeared. It's gone. It is gone for three years now. Oh, that's it's, amazing. It, and it's, it, it all started to disappear once I got rid of the testosterone in my body. So thank you for telling us about your life. And you are definitely, you have definitely overcome adversity. And now let's go ahead and give advice to those that probably should and, and need to hear it. Let's say that there are parents and we're not going to label them on the political spectrum. No. The, the, their boy, born a boy, they, the boy starts to get this information about there's a difference between a boy and a girl. And the parents ask the boy, what are you, a boy or girl? And, the, and he says, I'm a girl. Now, not too many warning flares should be going up. He could be confused or whatnot, but he says it maybe two more times. What is the very first step a parent needs to do? Typically, you know, and I don't mean to, to change the narrative that you just laid out, but we're going we're gonna to change the narrative you laid out, but ask the same question. The typical conversation doesn't go like that at all. Typically, the child is scared to go to the parent and tell them who they are. And when they do, and I tell everybody this, the reason a child comes out to you, mom or dad or sister or brother, is because they love you very much and you mean a lot to them. And they want you to know and understand the real them. So it comes from a place of love and they want genuinely for you to understand where they're coming from. And so the, typically the child will come out and say, I want to tell you something. What, honey? What's the matter? I don't know how to say this because you're going to hate me. No, no, no. Just say it. I love you. Come on. And de depending on the word, you pick the word, gay, trans, whatever. I'm trans. The parent then needs to digest that information because let's face it, on planet Earth, you know, somebody isn't born a boy, by the way. They were assigned male at birth. It's an assigned, when you're assigned male at birth, it's, do you have a penis or do you not have a penis, right? That is not an accurate description of that because just intersex alone breaks that all apart, right? Because they may have a penis, but they may also have a uterus, right? <laughs> so it's not necessarily true, but we, we try to normalize things and say, well, the vast majority, but that's not really an accurate way to do it. We need to have a more accurate way of describing gender or sex. And we gotta be careful with gender. Sex is one thing and gender is another, right? So our sexual characteristics we're born with versus the gender are at odds a lot of times with a lot more people than we think. 
So I would tell mom and dad, please listen to your child because a lot of times it's us teaching them, not the other way around. A lot of people will say the parents are teaching the child to be this way, but the reality of it is it's the child teaching the parent something the parent doesn't know how to embrace. Parents are usually shell-shocked. And all I say is take a step back. Don't say anything. Love your child regardless. That's what unconditional love is about, loving your child. And just step back and try to digest it. Get, seek some help from somebody that knows more than you do outside of your family circle. And try to well, find out more information about it before well, you go back to your child. So I would imagine that the first step is to go see their pediatrician. What do you think? Perhaps, yeah. You could go to their pediatrician and, and, and they will simply just state, well, what we could do to see, you know, to, there's a set of tests. There's two different things. WPATH is the standards of care and the Harry Benjamin standards of care, which has existed for decades, has been around. So there's a lot of medical and psychological things that have been long established to filter out those that might have something else going on versus truly being trans, right? And that they should definitely do that and seek psychological guidance as well to make sure they can rule out everything else to say concretely, yeah, this person really is what they're so, describing. So they're taking to a specialist and they make an appointment and they go through the psychological evaluation and let's say a physical evaluation and the child still identifies as another gender. Amber, what is gender affirming care? For 40 years now, we've had something called puberty blockers, 40 years. Now, all of a sudden the media is talking about puberty blockers and there's a whole bunch of states trying to ban puberty blockers and make it a felony where you could put mom and dad in prison and the doctor that administered gender affirming care in prison because they're calling, gen they're calling gender affirming care child abuse. And that's crazy. That's just the, honestly where that comes from. And I know because I've been in the courtrooms, I've been in those situations. It comes from religious doctrine run amok. And it's, it's sad because it belongs nowhere in our government. And the fact of the matter is, is it's the exact polar opposite. People that get gender affirming care, thus the hormone blockers, they don't have to go through that first puberty the wrong way. And they don't have to go through the painful, you know, and almost permanent changes that happen to your body by going through the wrong puberty and spending years of your adult life trying to undo it. You know, for me, my voice dropped, right? My, my voice got very deep, deeper than Darth Vader's even. It was really ridiculous. And, you know, you get body hair where it shouldn't be and you get taller and your bone structure changes and you get, you know, it's just crazy what happens. You know, it's an amazing process, puberty, but when it's going the wrong way, it's devastating for us. Thus, we have the highest trigger alert. I just want to say trigger alert because I'm going to mention something. We have the highest suicide ideation and the highest suicide rate of any demographic on the planet Earth. And that isn't because we hate ourselves. A lot of people that have the wrong information say we hate ourselves. That's not true at all. I've always loved myself. I didn't like the way I was born, sort of like somebody that was at first had to discover that they were born with only one leg. It kind of ruins their world for a little while until they get used to it and embrace it and then use it to their advantage, right? So with me, the same thing happened. And I think that the more people that understand 
this this information, the, the better off we'll be as a society because those kids that get that gender affirming care thus miss that first puberty. All we're doing is delaying puberty. The drugs are proven, they've been around for 40 years. They're used for a host of other things in the medical sciences, but all of a sudden, you know, on one end of the political spectrum, how trans became a political issue is beyond me, right? We're just yeah, another- gonna talk about that. Yeah, we're part of the human condition, right? We're just people. I am what you call, just so we get all the verbiage correct, I'm a post-operative transgender woman, but more so I'm a post-operative transsexual, I guess you would call it, because now my body and my physical brain are now congruent. They're, they're now aligned correctly. I had to do painful surgeries to get me to where I am. And of course, hormone treatments. So my hormones are correct as well. So there's definitely, from someone like me speaking to other people, I can tell everyone there's a definite difference between male and female from a societal standpoint, a physiology standpoint, and from uh, a neurological standpoint within the brain. What is the difference between a male brain and a female brain? So what happens is when people actually start to figure that stuff out, then I can get into the deeper material, which is there's been a lot of investigative medicine done on this. And what we found through MRI studies is that the female brain and the male brain have two different components in it that, that structurally make it into the quote unquote male or female brain, even though there's no quintessential male or female brain, but there are substructures in the brain that are absolutely, you know, derived via female or male. And that is the cortical region of the brain. In the cortical region of the brain, we know that that is what gives us our sense of self. In a female, a natal female, it's thick. The, the lining of that cortical region is very thick. In a trans woman like myself, guess what? It's really thick. In a male, natal male, it's very thin. In a trans male, it's also very thin. So we're finding that there's this correlation it, during gestation and afterwards that fits into this mindset of, wow, there's something that human beings cannot physically see with their eyes that has happened to this individual, sort of like a child with autism or a child with some other uh, process that has gone differently for them during gestation. We know that in the first trimester of pregnancy that your body and your, your sexual organs differentiate. And in the second trimester, your brain begins that process of differentiation. And for some reason, and they've now characterized up to 20 different geno, you know, genetic markers that actually express why it might have happened that we rejected the influx of, of testosterone or in the, in the inverse estrogen into the body during that developmental time. And what happens is you end up with a brain and a body that are incongruent. That's right. I like, that's why I like to use that word so much. Gender dysphoria simply states this. Gender dysphoria is, it, it's, it runs on a spectrum, let's say from zero to 100, right? And every, every number in between of how comfortable you are with your gender expression, with the gender that you are living within. And that can go from, it doesn't bother me at all, which means you don't experience gender dysphoria, which is, you know, a lot of people that are trans actually don't really experience gender dysphoria to, to the term 
to all the way to 100, which is it's totally wrecking my life. I'm unable to think about anything else. I can't work correctly, but there's no drugs to fix that, right? So finally, after all of these years, the WHO, the National, excuse me, the American Psychiatric Association that puts out the DSM, finally concluded that indeed gender dysphoria is not the mental health concern that they labeled it for all of those years. They had it all wrong. And a lot of people can't get past that, that thing that science is progressive, right? We used to think Pluto was a planet. We know now, you know, because we have more science behind us that the Kuiper belt out there, we know that there's a lot of objects the size of Pluto. So it's not really, you know, considered a planet. Same thing with everything else in our lives. In 2003, we actually finished the human genome project, right? We were able to put together what the human genome looks like in 2003. What happened before that? We didn't know. We, we had no idea. I mean, scientists had an idea, but it wasn't proven yet. So it's in science. Everything comes in time with new discoveries, and we have to embrace those discoveries and understand that that with those discoveries, what we're trying to do is not just say, aha, see, you guys were wrong, and these, these people are real human beings. No, what we're trying to do is find out why is it happening, and two, what can we do that better gives them a better quality of life rather than what they're doing currently? Because what's happening currently, like in my generation, is a lot of us had to hide until we were adults before we came out because we were scared of society. Uh, then you said something about puberty blockers. I mm -hmm. mean, at one point, these medical professionals may suggest that as a route. Is, is that true? Of course it is. Yeah. And it's, it's after a series of tests have been done, both from a physical standpoint and a psychological standpoint. The parents are involved. All of this, by the way, is the form of gatekeeping, which I hate in society that we have to have gatekeeping. You are who you are. If you're making a mistake, okay. That's very few and far between, but I don't agree with gatekeeping at all. And right now we're talking about gatekeeping, which is really shunned upon from the trans community. But I will go ahead and say, yes, everything we're talking about right, right now is sound. It's medically sound what we're talking about. So let's continue. I wanna talk a little bit about gatekeeping um, because I'm a middle school teacher. Mm -hmm. And I've dealt with 11 to 14 year olds for the last 10 to 12 years. Mm -hmm. These 10 to 12 year olds don't know about life. I see them mature in front of my eyes over the year, over the school year. But mm -hmm. in reality, they don't know. They don't know the, the, that choices have consequences later in life is the assertion of gatekeeping, does that mean that if a 13-year-old girl wants to take puberty blockers, she should have all the right to, no matter what the parents say? Absolutely, because you, Hector, not a, not a, not a government official alive or anyone else knows who that human being is except for that human being. There should the not be anybody else but that human being doing that. They are already going through a host of diagnostic tests, both medically and psychologically, to, to, to rule out the outliers that possibly would make a mistake. Let me ask you a question. We know that chemotherapy kills more people than it saves. 
We know this. We've seen it happen time and time again. How does it kill them? Their quality of life diminishes incredibly. Why do I know that? I sat in those, those chairs with people dying for over 20 years. 20 years I've sat in those same chairs watching people die around me. And chemotherapy is extremely toxic, right? But yet we embrace it as, hey, if you have cancer, you got to get that so we can save your life. And we all agree on that. But all of a sudden, when we talk about a child that is having an issue that is going to greatly affect the rest of their life and possibly lead them down the road to suicide, let's take that away from them. Because out of, out of the 100% of them, you know, one to one and a half percent of them actually change their minds later on and, and, and regret what they did. But they don't look into what the regret is. The regret is once they transition, they find out that society is still mean to them. They know they're a boy now. And, you know, they know that they're physically a boy now in that example, but the, yet they're still called a girl by, by a bunch of prejudiced people. Or the, likewise with me, they would say, yeah, you, you, yeah, okay, so what? You have a vagina, so what? You think you're a girl, blah, blah, blah. You're still a boy because you're X, X or XY chromosomes, I should say. That's not even close to how any of this works. That's just a piece of the puzzle. So people trying to block puberty blockers um, are actually doing a disservice because it's been around for 40 years. I point you in the direction of Kim Petras, P-T-R-A-S, Kim Petras. She's a pop singer from Germany. She went on puberty blockers at a young age, and she's one of the youngest people to transition on the planet. And you can't tell the difference between a cisgender female and her. Her voice is higher than a lot of the pop singers now because her voice didn't change, right? Because she was able to stop that. She's unbelievably happy. If I could go back and if I had to be born trans again, there's no question there would be nobody on this planet Earth, even through incarceration, that would stop me from getting my hands on that. And it's just because we are such a small, marginalized population. I represent 0.7% of the adult population. Think about that for a second. 0.7% of the human population over the age of 18 is trans. So uh, I'm evolving. I am learning from you. Oh. And so let, let, <laughs> let this line of questioning continue. Is there an age too young to start these, the, the, this medical process? So it's really not, let's, let's, let's call it for what it is. There's no surgeries that are performed. That right. doesn't these, happen. These, the these chemicals world, that, that are introduced inside the body. These are right. the puberty blockers. And, right. But before puberty, is there anything of this medical thing that we're discussing? They can be in psychological evaluation. They can be in medical evaluation preparing for this. Um, but there's something called a social transition. They can, they can present as a girl or as a boy if they like until such time when the puberty blockers come. Now let's be very clear about this. Puberty blockers have been around since 1980, right? They've been used for a host of different things from people that experience puberty too young to all sorts of sexual predators. They need to introduce that to them. There's a whole host of reasons why they use puberty blockers, right? And this, it's, it's really a Actually, no, blocker I, in that sense. You didn't know that. Um, no, so how is puberty blockers being used on sexual predators? So for example, aggression, sexual aggression, they've, they've found a lot of sexual aggression due to an abundance of testosterone with a whole, a whole host of other things. So what they do is they try to block some of that. They try to lower that. They may have an exaggerated testosterone level, which can cause other 
medical problems, by, by the way, it doesn't have to be a sexual predator. It could be just a, a, a boy that has got off the charts testosterone levels that actually can trigger other things, cardiac problems, which we have seen in children, uh, and all sorts of other issues because of that. Because like I said before, in high levels, it's extremely toxic. Has Males that and worked? females. Has that worked? Has yeah. a high testosterone male been given these blockers and now lives a productive, civilized life? Yeah, whatever that, whatever you just said even means. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to answer that concretely because that doesn't even make sense to me. But, you know, the thing is, is that well, people that take that... puberty blockers, male and female both have estrogen and testosterone in their bodies. We agree? Yes. You have estrogen in your body right now. You know yes. that. Yes. So it's just varying degrees of which is which, right? That we have. Okay. So just going back to what you said, a, a sexual predator is somebody that committed a crime of the sexual nature. I wish I didn't say sexual predator as one of the, as one of the people that did it because it's such a small part of all of this. Yeah. Sexual predator is someone that committed a, some sort of sexual crime. And, and then if they are introduced to this medication, medication, they can live without committing th that crime ever again. I, I don't want to say that that's the only reason, but all I can say is based on my research that I've seen that that was used, that was employed. And I'm saying that it's been around 40 years, but the people like okay. we were talking before the podcast that say this has just been around for two years, I'm trying to show people that even puberty blockers have been around for 40 years and being used. And they've been exclusively used you know, not exclusively, but higher use for trans people for the past 12 years, very effectively. In fact, when you look at people that have gone through puberty the right way, and all puberty blockers does is delay the onset of puberty. If somebody in the middle of all that says, you know what, I don't want to transition. It's going to be too hard for me socially. It's going to be, they're still going to make fun of me. I don't want to go through all of this trouble. So I'm not going to do it. They can just stop the puberty blockers. And guess what? Puberty just starts happening all by itself. It just delays the process. It doesn't change anything about the human being. It just stops that, that, that more, more metamorphosis that happens temporarily, by the way. You know, and then once they reach a level where they can make a, a proper decision about transitioning, and, when, and that's the key word here, the only choice in the whole matter is the transitioning part. There's a lot of transgender people that don't transgen that don't transition because they either can't afford it, they might have a medical issue that prohibits them from doing it. Thus, all of those medical tests that we talked about, and some of them just don't feel the need to transition. That their sexual reproductive organs are so secondary or tertiary to the whole issue of them being a woman or a man or or anything in between. So we have to look at this on a spectrum rather than just the male-female dynamic. And when they do finally come of age, they can be placed, in, in, in my instance, on estrogen and, and something called spironolactone. Spironolactone is actually a heart medication. It's, it, 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 it's, it stops congenital heart, not congenital, uh, congestive heart failure. It's used in congestive heart failure. It's used in high blood pressure, but it has a happy effect of prohibiting testosterone from entering the bloodstream. So th with that, once we start slowly doing that, there is a period of time where you can just stop taking that and you cannot be sterile. But after a few years of using it, you're sterile. So they have to think about this. Do you want children when you're older? 
and they'll be talked about to this. So every single thing you could possibly think about that becomes a question of, should they be doing this? Is this ethical? It's all discussed between the doctor and the patient, or I should say doctors, because there's multiple doctors involved in patients. So they know that there's consequences. You're not going to be able to have children, at least right now. We're, we're only about two and a half years away from a trans woman like myself being able to carry a baby full term. Are you aware of the Joe Rogan experience, the podcast? Yes, I am. Okay. Do you know who Eric Weinstein is? Eric Weinstein, it's ringing a bell. It's been a long day. Help me. <laughs> he is a quote unquote evolutionary biologist that has been featured and has been interviewed on Joe Rogan about five times. Joe Rogan loves to talk to him about it. Transgender is also an issue that Joe Rogan likes to talk about on his podcast, listened to by millions of people. Yeah. And one of the things that Weinstein said is that he, as an evolutionary biologist, I don't know what his political leanings are, said that the body is still growing up to the age of 18, that introducing medical testosterone or estrogen into a growing human is not the right thing to do. And he's speaking from an evolutionary biologist point. How would you respond to that? So there's a lot of people like Eric Weinstein and I just had to go ahead and, and get myself back in there. You know, Eric Weinstein, if you look at the medical community, he's shunned from the medical community. Let's just get right to it, okay? Him, Ben Carson, right? Ben Carson, the surgeon. These people are shunned from the medical community. They're outcasts. Why? Because they are completely disregarding all the medical evidence that goes to, to show that this stuff is what it is. There are plenty of documents out there that show, For here's an example. If what he is saying is true about puberty, that you're still developing until 18, are you saying to me, you know, because one of his things, I think I remember him saying this, you know, you can't possibly know this stuff until after puberty. I would say to him right up front, so Eric, that's great. At what age did you finally decide that you're a boy? Was it 18? Was it 17? Was it in a lonely bathroom someplace? Where, when did you finally describe yourself as a boy? Because obviously it takes a long time. So you're, what were you before that? You know, the thing is, is that there's all these silly narratives that people have. And there's a lot of people that call themselves scientists and medical professionals that are outside of that, because there was a study done in the 1970s, early 1970s, by, I can't remember his name uh, on your podcast here. And that's embarrassing because I should know it. Um, and he actually ran uh, an entire lab at a, a huge, at a huge hospital, a very well-known, well-renowned hospital. And people started believing that his narrative, that it's a psychological damaged individual that's mentally ill and blah, blah, blah. And people started buying into that nonsense. And the last thing a human being wants to do is justify their humanity to people. Right. And 
you take a bunch of people that don't understand the experience, never have been, a lot of these people have never even encountered anyone on a personal level. They might have met people like that, academically speaking, but they've not had anybody close to them in that regard. And what we find time and time again is that a lot of these individuals are tainted by ideologies. It's not that. When you talk to Ben Carson, when he said it's just a, a bearded man in a dress, and he said that right on C-SPAN for everyone to hear. When you think about Ben Carson, right? When I think about Ben Carson, Ben, I think you're a piece of garbage. When, you, when I think about Ben Carson, I say to myself, well, who is Ben Carson? He is self-proclaimed as a, a Seventh-day Adventist first, a physician second. So his religion comes before his oath to the medical profession, which is why he's been shunned from most of the medical profession. Eric Weinstein, now that I'm seeing his face on my computer screen, yes, he's nothing new. He's just another Ben Shapiro. The, there's all sorts of people that want to turn this into an exercise of something that it totally isn't. And, and it all stems from, I, I hate to say this, but it all stems from insecurity in the patriarchy. Think about it. What do little boys say to boys that are not as strong as them when they're little boys? Oh, you're a little girl. So as if girl is a negative connotation or girl is something less than a man, right? We've always done this in society. That's why God is a he when we refer to him, right? Yes. <laughs> so the patriarchy has been alive and strong for a great number of years. And you know what? If, if they have a fragile view of masculinity, they will absolutely not be able to handle talking about, about people that are acting more effeminate. Let's take the other side of the spectrum, shall we? People that are assigned female at birth that become, that become physically male. A lot of them, you've walked into the men's room before and I bet you they were right next to you and you never knew the difference because it's a lot easier from a physical standpoint to transition to male than it is to female because testosterone is the most toxic hormone on the planet. It makes skeletal changes. It makes a, a, a bunch of dynamic, irreversible changes. Like my voice. Do you know what I used to do also? I used to do voiceovers for concert promotion. You know the guy that says Def Leppard's coming to the arena on Saturday? I used to do that. Like the, the people that do those concert promotions with a really deep voice. You know, like the monster truck rally is coming this weekend. And you hear his voice really billowing deep and echoey. That used to be me, Right. And the thing is, is that there's, there's all sorts of stereotypes that are out there for, for folks like us. And I just have to take a lot of that stuff with a grain of salt and say, listen, we've done this throughout humanity. The church itself said leprosy was the hand of God punishing somebody for sinning against God for over 2000 years, even though evidence showed otherwise. So, you know, they're, they're, they were the professionals back then and yet they were shunned. Copernicus was a professional right? All of those, all Galileo was on house arrest for the rest of his life for heresy, for saying that earth was not the center of the universe. So it happens. You know, this is what happens in society. We get these people that come up with something that people that don't know any better think is a good argument, and he holds a degree. But that just because you hold a degree doesn't mean you have other ideologies that you that you subscribe to. And that's the problem. Ideologies are a huge problem because being trans or gay is not an ideology. Ideologies are things that are learned. I can't teach you to be gay. I can't teach you to be trans. I can't convert you to be trans. 
And you can't convert me to be straight or, well, I am straight. You can't convert me to be cisgender. It's impossible because that's not how any of this works. And in 18th century, early 18th century, Western civilization decided that they're going to do away with the gender construct, the multi-gender construct. Every culture in the world had a multi-gender construct. Western civilization, the colonists especially, decided that it was going to be a, a two-gender system, the binary, male and female, period, end of discussion, nothing else. And the reality is, is that you had the shaman in, in, in the Middle East, you had the kahui in Asia, you had the two-spirit in the Americas, that being North America, Central America, South America, and a host of hundreds of others with multiple genders. Some had five, some had 10 that they recognized. There was all sorts of, of gender on a spectrum until the colonialists came around and said, this is too goddamn complicated. Two genders, period, done. Boom. And guess what? Sex and gender are the same thing. Moving on, what's next? And that's completely inaccurate to describe that, you know? You brought up a point and I just want to make it clear and to bring down any discriminatory thoughts that people have, because you did say it, if two men, if two gay men adopt a, a boy, mm -hmm. it does not mean that this boy is predisposed to turn out gay. He of course is, not. If, yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, that might blow some people's mind, but it's the I, truth. I do think that Joe Rogan would benefit from talking to a doctor who has not been shunned and that does this on a daily basis because he's had Weinstein on a few times and he's had a few comedians that have been very opinionated on the issue but and, and there is one more topic that I do wanted to discuss before sure. we finish the program and yeah. that is the sports issue sure. now we understand and we agree that there is the NBA and the WNBA, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Are men biologically stronger than women? That question is like saying, is the sun hotter than that other sun? Seriously, I know you don't see it right now, but are men stronger than women is such a generalized stereotype that I can't properly answer that academically speaking. I come from education for 23 years too. And I can't answer the question the way it's been posed. So maybe let me help you out because I think I know where you're going and I understand why you're going there. Um, it's perceived that a man is stronger than a woman and, and many men will just say unequivocally that that's the truth, period, end of discussion. But there's a lot of men that are small there's a lot of men that have smaller bone structure. There's a lot of men that can get the living, you know what, beat out of them by any woman, right? There's a lot of differences in the male and female physique, but where does that translate into, into athleticism? Well, that's something that the World Olympic Committee had a struggle with for years. That's something that all of the different sports elements in the United States, including the NCAA, had a struggle with for years. And they finally came to the conclusion after after long talks with the American Medical Association, scores of doctors and, and researchers, that in fact, there are certain elements that need to be monitored in everyone, 
if you remember, there was this thing about epoetine, epo, right? They used to abuse that in the Olympics and, and Russia got cited for it because it was, an, it was enhancing the ability of their athletes. So there, there has to be some semblance of, of, okay, what they came up with is you have to have, you have to be on HRT, hormone replacement therapy for two years in order to compete, right? And we've had a lot of transgender women in sports in the NCAA for 12 years now. You know how many incidents there have been because of that? Zero. Not even one. I'd love to point one out to you right now, but there's actually been zero. And that went through Congress and the Senate, and they couldn't even answer it. And the answer came to them. And the answer was, there have been zero incidents. The second thing that people don't understand is that the World Olympic Committee, which is involved with all countries of the world involved in this, come up with a singular idea set on what this is using the medical community from multiple countries to come to a conclusion. And what they found is trans women can absolutely compete in the Olympics as long as they follow the following guidelines. And if those guidelines are, are followed, they can compete. And here's the thing, for years and years, Hector, trans women have been trying to get on the women's Olympic team to qualify. And you know, to date, there has not been a single solitary woman in the United States that has actually qualified to be on the women's Olympic team. Do you know why? Because the, nat the natal, the cisgender women beat the hell out of them every single time. You have to be the best of the best to be on the Olympics. And we've had lots of trans women try to get on the Olympic team. They failed every single time. But yet we're owning everything according to the narrative. That's simply untrue. So that's what I like to, I like to show this stuff to people so they can go out and fact check the living heck out of me. There's, there's what happens. And then there is people with a voice that give a separate narrative. Have you seen the Dave Chappelle narrative with LeBron James as an example that he uses in one of his stand-up routines? Um, I probably have. I'm trying to think about the instance you're talking about. Um, so I don't want to quote too much, but he does say, let's say LeBron James identifies as a woman. And so now he needs to play for the WNBA in which he scores 864 points every game. And then that, of course, causes arousal of laughter. That's not how any of this works. LeBron, you can't just say, hey, I'm a woman and I'm going to go beat the hell out of the women's teams because obviously I suck at the male sports. That's what a lot of people say. I'm not using him as the example. I'm using what no, people I would say love about any No, I would love for you to go into that narrative. It, so it's not true. And, and, I, and I know it's not true, but, but course, the narrative yeah. is there. Yeah, the narrative is there. And it's not rooted in, in reality because people don't just arbitrarily say, I'm a girl and I'm going to do it. Anybody that, that, that says, I'm going to switch teams just so I can be a winner in, in this athletic ability, it does, it's never happened in the history of history. That just doesn't happen. Nobody become, you can't become trans. You can't all of a sudden say, well, today I think I'll be a girl because I, I, I haven't had a winning streak in years. That doesn't happen. That's not how any of this works. Um, the second argument I would point out is that LeBron James can't just go be on the women's team. Just like in collegiate athletics, where college students go through a, a host of medical diagnoses, are monitored for their hormone levels, 
And one thing people don't realize <laughs> because they say, oh, they have muscle mass and they have bigger lungs and they have this and that. Bone well, structure, muscle. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it all. So, yeah. And, and when you think about it, women from an agility standpoint and a stamina standpoint, a lot of times what they do is they beat the men in certain sports. And I will tell you right now, let's, let's, let's play the same logic they're playing. Let's take, let's take um, Serena Williams and let's put LeBron James in the tennis court with her. Who's going to win? Serena Williams. No, that can't possibly be true. He's a man. He's stronger. He has bigger bone structure and bigger lungs. Well, the narratives do keep them in the same sports, but I understand 100% what you're saying. All right, let's keep it in the same sport this time. Women are now welcome in the NFL. We all know that. And if we don't know that, we know that they created a rule that says all human beings are eligible. And I'm quoting, by the way, as long as they are three years out of high school and have a usable football skill set, prep and college football have experienced huge controversies about whether girls and women can play. But in reality, women are now welcome in the NFL. Okay. So when we look at this, um, you know, you can, you can, take that another level, right? So it's okay for men to accept, you know, it's hard for them, but they can accept the woman playing, but a trans woman doing something else, that's completely, you know, no way. We want you to play in the, in the gender that you were assigned at birth. That's what they want. So let's, 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 let's take that narrative the opposite direction. How about somebody assigned female at birth and now is a man? Well, it goes both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. So if a trans woman has to play in 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 male sports then a trans man has to play in in female sports well that person now has a beard receding hairline huge muscles right and um a deeper voice etc all the things that come with being a male you know that happens when you build muscle mass and everything else do you not think they're going to overcompete it with that narrative that was used you know relegating sports to a, a two-dimensional subject of sex, right? And males are stronger than females nonsense. You know, sports is about skill set. Sports involves so many metrics that we measure. That's why there's so many statistics in sports because there's so many measures of what makes an athlete. And if in fact trans women were owning the game whenever they were involved, you would, you would see that. And we're not seeing that. What we saw is we saw, you know, in a a bicycle race, we saw a trans woman win a bicycle race and broke records. But what we didn't see in that narrative was the 92 times that she actually lost over the last three years. So for that one win, they poo poo the hell out of it, but they don't speak about the 92 losses that she had prior to that, that she just couldn't get there in time because she was getting this, the the macaroni beat out of her, you know? So, you know, when we're going to have these narratives presented, they have to be done so fairly. And quite honestly, the entire premise is all societal in nature. Anyway, the physicality and everything else, it all comes down to ideology. I agree, but there is a also personal feeling that I have now that I'm a father of a daughter there's this scenario in my head that I keep playing when I think about this issue. And I want to play that scenario out for you and then have you give me advice on this theoretical scenario. Sure. My daughter 
is in middle school and is a great basketball player. I will say that she's the fifth best player and the, the coach really likes her. She, and since she is the top five, she's in the starting lineup, right? She gets to be on the court when that ball is thrown into the air and she's playing basketball. Then we start hearing of a boy that is transitioning into a girl and that the school allows this student now to play in the girls basketball team. Now this student, it plays extraordinarily, scores baskets and everything and is better than my daughter. And because of that, she's no longer part of the starting five and she is benched. Emotionally, I'm kind of hurt and I don't think it's fair. So in this hypothetical situation, Amber, what would you tell me as a parent? How old are the children that we're talking about? 11 to 13. So prepubescent. That boy most likely isn't in puberty yet. Okay. Is that right? Is that right? Well, let's say he starts <laughs> taking these puberty blockers, right? And then it's right, transitioning. So let's, let's break this down. So in order for somebody to be successful, we both can agree that your, your physical and your mental aptitude need to be at their best. You need to be on your game, both mentally and physically. The vast majority of people that are transgender are discriminated against. They're teased by their peers. They have a low self-esteem. They are outcast in, in many of their schools. Now, that's changing, by the way, because even my, I have children. And even they at a young age knew exactly, you know, they had a trans kid in their class and they all just accept that as it is. And as generations move forward, that's going to be more and more so. So let's take this into consideration. Number one, mentally, that student is at a disadvantage because they've been bullied and harassed and they have a low self-esteem to begin with. And maybe sports is the only outlet they can get to feel good. Right. So there's that to consider. Okay. Number two, when they're placed on puberty blockers, they are still amorphous, right? So they're, they're still androgynous. In other words, you're preventing them to differentiate into that man, right? Rather than, than, than. so the girl is on, on, on course with her puberty, which gives her certain advantages with the things that she's doing, but the boy is stuck as a 10 year old. So things that start to happen, your growth hormone slows down. You're not gonna to grow to the size you were. You're gonna stop growing vertically. You're gonna not have those characteristics that happen to boys, which is your muscle mass expanding, your bone structure thickening and becoming more dense and so on and so forth. So in all actuality, this kid might just be a really good player. But when we talk about children in middle school, the reason we see girls and boys playing together in, in gymnasiums in middle school, like even in my kids' school, they play together, boys and girls, because they're still at that age where sort of like what we call the elderly, where they, 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 they don't, they, they portray non-female and non-male, you know, things about themselves because they're, they're amorphous in that sense, right? So, so when you think about sports, there's a skill set associated with that. And if your daughter ends up being on the bench because a trans girl gets on the team, the only reason you're upset is because you actually, in your brain, someplace, even if it's subconsciously, 
believes that's really a boy, which is why you face the why you phrase the question inaccurately to begin with. You said there's a boy that is wanting to change into a girl. That was never a boy, because people see boy as a two-dimensional thing, whereas penis boy, vagina girl. But in the brain structures, we've already proven that the human brain, which is the largest sexual reproduction organ in the universe, the, the human brain, that is where a lot of this is happening. And by saying that that's really a boy becoming a girl is, is, is both hurtful to that child who's already got a low self-esteem and already at a higher rate of suicide ideation because they're, they're being mistreated. And at a lower self-esteem level with everything else, maybe that suffers academically, maybe it, it suffers socially, maybe it suffers with everything else. Maybe sports is that outlet to help that child flourish. And I think every child should be given an opportunity to flourish. And all children should know that, listen, at the end of the day, it's a game. And yes, while it hurts our feelings, because I used to be a little league coach. In fact, one of my players in New York when I lived up there was Joe Torrey's nephew. Do you know who Joe Torrey is? He was the manager of the Yankees when they had their biggest winging World Series winning streak ever, like the dream team with Derek Jeter and all those guys. He was, he was on the dream team. And so his nephew was on my team and he was the opposite of baseball. He's so little, right? And we had boys and girls on our team and he just couldn't get up to bat and swing that bat. The girls were, were killing it at that point. So here's, here's the moral of the story. The people that we're speaking about are people in high school. Let's, let's get to the real narrative. The real narrative is the NCAA, the, medical, the American Medical Association, and just about every other medical association, in, in, let's keep it in the United States, and the World Olympic Committee, for example, professional sports and collegiate sports has already been figured out. They already know the answers to this stuff, and it's very fair. When you look at high school, this is where the quagmire exists, because there's a lot of states, including Alabama, which, by the way, just went to the Supreme Court the other day and lost. So they're not allowed to ban affirmative care for trans people, which they were trying to do. They were actually gonna put mom and dad in jail for no less than 25 years. It was really disgusting what they were doing. And they were using biblical precedent as their, as their fighting mechanism, which is obscene. That should not be happening in the United States of America, but I digress. So the, the issue is that high school kids that have not gone on puberty blockers. A boy, a perceived boy, right? That is not transitioning hormonally. That creates a problem, doesn't it? Because the way our construct of our society and our ideologies surrounding sports, sort of it sort of defies common sense to those, those what we call sensibilities. But the reality is it's a game. In high school, there are certain sports that that boy is going to is actually going to do very well in. But there's other sports where that boy is not going to do so well that the girl will will persevere, right? It happens. It's because it's a sports. It's the sports is multifaceted, multidynamic, and and in order to understand it fully, you have to look at the sport itself and take context from the sport itself that we're speaking about because. Women and men both have advantages in different areas when it comes to sports. Amber, I want to thank you for coming on to my podcast. Please tell my audience where they can find you, get more information about you, et cetera. 
Sure. My website is amberrosewashington.com. And the name of my book is Hiding from Myself. It's available everywhere. A lot of people buy it on Amazon. You can look me up. And you can also, if you go to amberrosewashington.com, you can see the link in there. And um, thank you for having me on your show. I mean, this has been an interesting discussion. There's, there's so many things we didn't cover that we could. But, you know, I, I appreciate everything that we talked about today. And you're very knowledgeable. So hats off to you. Good for you. I can also say that I've learned. I, I expected to learn a lot, and I did. And I thank you for that. So, again, thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you, too. Amber, any last words, any last thoughts that you have? Anybody that is facing adversity, whether you're within the LGBTQ or not, just remember life is an ebb and flow. We're, we're on a series of stops within, within our existence here. And positivity, and you know, somebody with positivity in, in the worst of situations will oftentimes fare better than those that give up. And no matter what the obstacle before you, I just ask, no matter who you are or where you are, to not give up and to, to live in the present. Don't live in the future and the fear of what might happen to you in the future. And don't live in the past. Live in the present. That's why it's called the present, because it's a gift. And that's what I would put along to everyone listening. This has been Overcoming Adversity with Amber Rose Washington. This has been the Life Teacher Podcast. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.